Zatujcie. 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 Welcome to the Blind Podsman, a, de- a podcast dedicated to all things Atuichi. I am your host, Patrick, and with me is my co-host, Jason. Hey, Patrick. How are you? Good. How about yourself, man? Doing okay. Uh, been a pretty heavy couple weeks. Uh, I understand you went camping, though, right? Yes. I just got back last night at about, f- or this morning at about 5. Uh, went up on Friday, came down last, or this morning. Uh, turns out I don't like camping. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> good to find out. Good to learn. Uh, I found it very claustrophobic. I do not like not having the ability to bathe. Uh, that makes mm. me sound like a baby, I know, but like I just feel like absolute garbage if I don't take a shower every day. No, I, I feel that. I am. Uh, we're recording this in the afternoon, and I've yet to take a shower. I was doing like uh, some upkeep around the place here, and. Yeah, I feel gross now. Like, even before you mentioned it, I, I felt gross. I was like, I need to take a shower eventually. It, it feels like I've I had a, a very, a very like, big workout without actually doing anything. That's, that's I know where you're coming from. Yeah, that's it's a gross feeling. Actually, um, uh, on that note, I was kind of seeing the the uh, filthy sheen from uh, Kentaro uh, uh, Shots. Uh, yeah, Kentaro Shotsi here in Zatuichi, because uh, he's a traveling dude. He probably doesn't take a lot of baths and whatnot. No, I imagine he doesn't bathe often at all. He yeah. gets those dirty hands on you when, you when you get a massage from him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not the cleanest dude in the world. So I felt a little bit like I was relating to his situation. And uh, we, should, we should let the audience know this isn't going to be one of our longer episodes, um, simply because it's just uh we don't have a whole lot of time but that's okay because we'll get to the finer points of the movie um but uh otherwise so we are on movie number five zatuichi on the road Mm -hmm. which is directed by kimiyoshi yasuda who went on to direct six more this is his one of six zatuichi movies he made um he also made movie number nine, Adventures of Zatoichi, movie 15, Zatoichi's Cane Sword, movie 18, Zatoichi and the Fugitive, which is not to be confused with the last movie, Zatoichi the Fugitive, Zatoichi meets the One-Armed Man, movie number 22, and movie number 25, the last Zatoichi film before the 1989 Zatoichi, which was Zatoichi's Conspiracy. Um, he also went on to make six episodes of the TV series. Yeah, it's interesting how uh, some of the directors will cross over to do some of those television episodes. Um, maybe they felt comfortable working with uh, Shintaro, or they just like the character a lot, or probably a combination of all. But um, that and I, the Chambara uh, Film Network seems to have been pretty closely knit, as we'll see some more recurring character actors in this movie from the previous films. I believe every director so far has had a hand in the TV series at some point in time. 
Um, this is also the first movie that does not have Kan Shimuzawa as a credited writer, even though he did write the original Zatoichi story and he did have a hand in um, many of the films. But this is uh, the first one that I can't find him credited anywhere. I might be wrong, but I didn't see him on the Wikipedia or IMDb for that matter. But Minoru uh, Inzu and Zuka, Zuku who wrote the first two films, is the writer, uh, the main writer of this movie. Interesting. I didn't catch Jack, that. Jack Kerouac also uh, contributed to the film. I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the weird part about the title for this one. <laughs> it was like, I know we kind of ragged on it last time, but On the Road, I don't quite know what uh, the English translation folks were thinking because I've seen alternate titles uh, as Fighting Journey. Yeah, I actually, if you watch the Criterion uh, yeah. copy, it comes up as Zatoichi's Fighting Journey, which sounds way cooler, in my yeah. opinion. Agreed, because, I mean, as as hip as On the Road is to, like, American beatnik enthusiasts, <laughs> like, that's a, it's a very set theme and motif that that title invokes, so I'm, I'm surprised that they brought it up. I was like, is Sal Paradise going to be in this? What's happening here? Zatoichi's ass-kicking road trip. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I want the mad ones. I want the ones who burn out quickly, or that I slice in half with a can, like a candle. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. The other titles that struck me about this were uh, Zatoichi and the Scoundrels, which I thought was funny. That's a good title too. Like, it's also a great band name. So if anybody wants yeah. to be like a Zatoichi tribute band, I would choose that one. Um, the. Uh... This movie concerns Zatoichi, who makes a promise to a dying old man to deliver a maiden safely home to Ido, but mm-hmm. finds himself between two warring gangs who have a mysterious interest in the young girl. Well, this so, is very familiar. Um, yeah. It's like that Yojimbo setup of two rival gangs and Zatoichi in the middle, except like he's not conning them. He's initially conned himself. So he's this underdog hero, as we've seen in the past couple films. Like, this is very reminiscent of the first film, except that there's this uh, uh, B-plot of the uh, young girl. And that synopsis, I read the same one. Um, It's weird how it kind of goes back and forth, though, because there's a lot being glossed over there. Like, uh, there are rival gangs, but only one of the gangs is really interested in her because they know what she's worth. Yeah. Yeah. Um... The the interest I believe is one gang wants to kill her and the other one wants to wants to ransom the family for her, so it's not that mysterious at all. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, again, we have all these uh, boss situations in different towns that are rivals with one another, but they also have like different um, means of income. And one of them, and this is kind of a first for the series, one of them is like a travel agency. <laughs> like their main concern is getting people from point A to point B, but they're real devious about it. And there were some of the most like heinous characters that I've seen in the series so far. Like the guy who's the boss of this gang, the uh, travel agency gang that I'm so fond of here. Um, there is uh, Tome Goro, who's played by Yoshio Yoshida. I don't think we've seen this gentleman in any of the previous films. Cause he has a very distinct face. Yeah. He looks he like looks, Moses Sislak from The Simpsons. You know, weirdly enough, he looks like every dirtbag, like, wannabe, like, Italian gangster that my dad would hang out with when I was a kid. Like, as weird as that sounds. 
That's yeah. who he reminded me of. <laughs> and because he's in charge of like the the travel agency, Yakuza, like of course he would be the low rent group. He's kinda like I mean, they remind me of the orphans from the Warriors. Like these are the these are the real bottom of the barrel Yakuza. Yeah. These guys are just above being a blind masseur in terms of uh Yakuza in ranking. terms of hierarchy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but that guy's face is just great. Like, he's just... He knew what kind of roles he was probably going to play when he started acting. He's like, all right, give me the sleazebag roles. I'm real good <laughs> at it. And he is. He's so he's so good at, like, uh, um, slobbering his drink over himself whenever he's surprised by something. Uh, or, like, whenever he's scared, he just has, like, this kind of, like, that kind of, like, over-exaggerated look on him and stuff. Yeah, and, it, and it's a lot of fun to watch. Um, the other bosses that are involved are uh, uh, not as I don't remember them being as interested in the girl except that one of them uh, the Shimozua boss boss Tobe uh, excuse me Shimozuma boss Tobe who's played by uh, Sanosuke Sawamura who was previously in the second Zatoichi where he was uh, Boss Kanbei. You remember that mm. guy? Yeah, I remember that dude. Yeah, at first I thought, like, is he... Are they reviving this role? But no, he's a different Yakuza boss. Again, like the inter-network of the Chambara actors and stuff. Um, but I like this guy a lot, too. He's just got this great appeal whenever he's on screen. Um, and he uses uh, Mitsu, the, the young maiden... Um, who just keeps getting captured in this film. Like, she can't not get captured. Uh, uses her to sort of bait Zatoichi during the final uh, battle to like, come over to his side. Um, basically saying, look what I got. It's that girl that you were trying to protect. So and I believe, us now. I, I believe in the beginning of the film, uh, Zatoichi was on his way to meet that boss. Uh, in particular, uh, boss. Weird, uh, weirdly, he was on his way to meet boss uh, Hikozo of Doyama. Oh yeah, because he was heading to Doyama with an all all expenses paid vacation. Essentially, that's right. That's right. And uh, <laughs> Tomegoro of the Kagotame gang basically got caught up by capturing the girl. So that's how this becomes like a three way dance, Yojimbo, where uh, Tomegoro and Hikozo were. In cahoots with each other, um, and well, actually, I mean, he was planning on joining. This is really fucked up. He was messed up. He was really uh, planning on joining Hikozo anyway, but then he became more interested when he heard that, or uh, he felt more in an awkward position once he realized that Toichi was going to be there. But they were both going to go after Boss Tobe. This um this had to be some kind of inserted humor because during the beginning of the film when he's walking with that gentleman that's bringing him to Doriyama, he says, I won't fight or put on a show with any sword tricks, which he not only does do sword tricks about 30 minutes into the movie when he pops that uh, parmesan in half, yeah. but I think he kills more people in this movie than any of the other films. Yeah, whereas like the last couple of films, I mean, hell, even the first one, he's got this weird code of conduct with himself he's like i really don't want to kill anybody today and it looks like that's just kind of been thrown out the window where it's the jackie chan i don't want any trouble 
Like, yeah. there's going to be trouble. There's yeah. going to be a ton of trouble. That's why we're here watching this movie. Yeah. <laughs> like, we want to see trouble. And not only to that point, like, where you're talking about uh, the 30 minutes in uh, where he says that, what did you think of the cold open to this film, where we basically there... knock out every Zatoichi trope within, like, a 30-second spiel? It reminded me of James Bond. Like, yeah. And but what's interesting is that trope with James Bond, how he always has those openings where like he does something cool and says something cool because Zatoichi is like darkness is my ally. Try to find me, yeah. which is, you know, cool guy line. This movie was made only a year after Dr. No came out. So Zatoichi did it first. OK. OK. So, yeah, Zatoichi's already like we know where we're here. Let's let's get the familiarities out. But it's just so great because it starts with like a that. um the game of dice being done, Zatoichi calling it out, uh, slicing a candle vertically in half, and saying that catchphrase, and then like slicing up a couple of dudes, and then like the title card comes up. So uh, it's great, but it doesn't quite match exactly. Like it's not that fast paced. This isn't like the movie Crank or anything, where it's just nonstop dice slicing stuff in half and then killing dudes. Uh, this is. It's like you say, like those Bond openings where it just sets the sets the tone of the character. Because I believe the action-packed, cool one-liner Bond openings didn't start happening until Goldfinger, which didn't come out until a year later. So I'm wondering if if uh, they were watching the Zatoichi movies, like we got to do something like that. I wonder, yeah, because it's it's a very. I mean, that's one of the things that stuck with me uh, with this film, that cold open. I just thought it was so great. Um, which is weird because like, as I mentioned to you earlier, before we started recording, I, one of the things I noticed almost right off the bat is the whole, this movie feels a lot cheaper than the rest of them. And it makes sense because in 1963, they've popped out what, this is the second one of 1963. And I think, I think there's one more before we even get to 64. Hmm. Um, and so I, I guess I kind of get, uh, yeah, no, this is, uh, this is the third 1963 movie. And then in 1964, they pop out four more. That's right. Yeah. 1964 so, is like the big release year, but yeah. Yeah. Um, so they're, they're in full like assembly line mode for these films. And I'm not complaining cause I, I kind of get it because I imagine they probably had one budget for all three of these movies. Maybe like, it's just like one flat sum and they're like, make it work. Or they probably filmed all three of them one right after the other using the same pieces. Hmm. Um, yeah. Admittedly, it's a little hard for me to tell because I'm not super familiar with, I guess, Japanese architecture. So I can't really tell if they're using different pieces or not, but it all kind of looks samey, you know? what like a ancient Japanese village looks like to me. But, um, I mean, like it felt a little bit cheaper. Like the lighting was a lot softer than usual. The exterior environments had a lot more painted backgrounds than usual. Um, all the scenes felt claustrophobic, kind of like the last battle of the tale of Zatoichi continues, you know, how it just, everything seemed to take place in these tiny rooms. Yeah. Particularly that confrontation, that first confrontation between Zatoichi and, uh, boss Tomegoro, where he's like flipping guys in that small room. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, that was claustrophobic more than anything to me, but I mean, while like, yeah, it felt cheaper, um, 
and it started to get a little tropey with Zatuichi. I actually found myself a lot more interested in this movie than The Fugitive. Um, I did enjoy the story. I, I like that there was just... It, it felt like a lot more unfolded with the plot than in the previous movies. You had, you know, this girl Mitsu and then this other girl Hay- Hayasa or Hisa, I think Hisa. her name was. Yeah, Hisa. How, she, you know, in the beginning, uh, Zatoichi killed her husband. I think that was her husband or somebody That's her correct. group was with. Yeah. And basically she gets tied up in this plot kind of at her own means of finding out how much this girl's worth to get her back. So she steals him from her from Zatuichi. Um, he then, of course, reclaims her. Uh, and then the gangs get caught. Like you said, I mean, uh, Mitsu gets kidnapped like five or six times in this movie in the span of 82 minutes. Yeah. Um, so I, I felt more engaged with the plot, um, as simplistic as it was. Uh, I did enjoy seeing a lot more action. I think that it was cool. They kind of just saved the tricks for the cold open. And then like, there's just one other instance where he does something kind of cool with the sword. And then, you know, that was it. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, I agree with what you're saying, uh, with all of that. I think this is like the most accessible Zatoichi film that we've seen so far. Cause there's nothing like super challenging or out of the ordinary. It's not like, it's not like the previous one where we saw Zatoichi sumo wrestling. Right. Where, where uh, diehards at this point would kind of get okay yeah as a masseur he would know like how to the pressure points and um how to wrestle effectively uh this one is it's very cut and dry it does have like what feels like a lower production value and and because of that and especially because that point that you just mentioned where they get rid of all the tropes like at the very start I feel like it's the most accessible one. Like, this is the one that I would show to somebody if I wanted to see if they'd be interested in more Zatoichi. Exactly. It's it's flashy. If we're being cheap, it's also flashy, especially with the combat. Because, like I said, he kills more people in this movie than I think in any of the other ones. One sequence in particular, he kills three people in the blink of an eye. Like, you blink and it's over. Yeah, yeah. Um, without even getting up. Mm-hmm. And it's a very tense lead up to that confrontation too, because as they're eating, he just tells her he's with uh, Mitsu Mitsu. at a a river bank and he tells her not to move. And just three guys, just it's over in an instant. Three guys just show up out of nowhere, like two or three movements. They're down. He doesn't even get up. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not totally familiar with like the damsel in distress trope for, um, Chambara films. But the actress who plays Mitsu is really great at softening the scene. Um, like in this one in particular, since we were talking about it, uh, she's she's very cheerful and points out like a dragonfly landing on a leaf. And that's the part that uh, it kind of cuts to. Like that's one of the more unusual parts of the film, whereas like the previous films had a couple of parts that I thought we agreed were uh, pretty unusual for the tone and pace, but this one, it's like, oh, let's get a shot of this dragonfly resting on a leaf, a blade of grass, and then it's only like when Zatoichi uh, realizes that there's danger, is, there's danger afoot, is that the dragonfly is leaving, so it's kind of this sense of like, the insect knows it, Zatoichi knows it, there's trouble coming, but then when he kills everybody, the, the uh, dragonfly lands again on this blade of grass. Um, but Mitsu looks like goes from cheerful to terrified 
Yeah, and she she's the innocent character in this world of total scumbags, including our hero, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, everyone's bad. Everybody yeah. is the bad guy. Everyone's Nobody's terrible. the good guy. <laughs> right. Um, and it, it's, um, it, 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 it's a very, like, I think that's what makes it most accessible is because while... Zatoichi, you know, isn't a great dude by any means. Like, you have an established hero. You also have an established, I guess, damsel in distress. I don't know what else to call her. And you have a clear-cut goal and a bunch of people intertwining with this goal. And you're rooting for Zatoichi to be the one to deliver her. And it's it's a simple plot without being, like... I'm trying to think of the best way to say it. It's a simple plot without being too cut and dry. Like, it's still intriguing, but it's not up its own ass, I guess is what I'm trying to say. It's trying to be way too complicated. Yeah, I think in, I think at this point in a world where there were already uh, four Zatoichi films, this one is the lightest form of them. Um yeah, some of those I, scenes that were... Oh, sorry, what were you saying? Oh, I was going to say it's the lightest, but it's also the most complete, too. Yeah, yeah, it still has, like, all the parts there. Um, things that are missing, though, is, like, we're not getting these glances into Zatoichi's past. Like, I don't think there's a point in this movie where he uh, becomes self-deprecating about, like, uh, the past, his uh, gambling, his uh, whoring around or anything like that monologue about himself in this movie um whereas we've seen that in previous installments like he'll talk about his gambling his involvement with yakuza his uh fondness of prostitutes that sort of thing like stuff he'll get down on himself about and it's usually like a small monologue but that doesn't happen here like it's all about moving moving the plot forward of these uh rival gangs and this and this uh, young maiden trying to get back to Edo. Um, so it's it's missing some of those parts that were uh, kind of like the more poetic parts of the last movies. And even like the technical skill of it isn't quite as artful. Like you were saying, it could be a, a, a production cost thing. But... I know, like, with the previous ones, we talked about certain shots, uh, tracking shots through the woods or uh, following behind Zatuichi or meaning the actor's head, like, very closely or different psychedelic shots. Like, remember that one? Uh, yeah. When he was trying to cut, like, four candles in half? and From New Tale, I believe it was. That was the first uh, color Zatuichi film. Yeah, there's, there's nothing, like, really that challenging except for maybe the first 30 seconds, which are super fast and um, not a lot of cuts, or the very last scene, like after he disposes of the three uh, Yakuza bosses and he's being charged at by, I think it's Jin Goro, the guy who initially sent um, Hisa's husband and two others to try to kill Zatoichi on behalf of the Shimazawa gang. Um, he comes by with a group of men. They, they basically like start wheeling carts or forcing carts, these like long wooden carts around Zatuichi to sort of trap him. 
but he's still effectively fighting them off. And it immediately jump cuts to him like out of these carts. Like he's he's no longer surrounded. And there's this close up of one of the cart wheels spinning. And it's the loudest thing in the shot. Um, <laughs> it's like uh, the first part of Once Upon a Time in the West, where it's all like focused on very specific sounds. That's what it's doing with this cartwheel. It just sounds like a rusty old cartwheel, like running along like a wagon wheel. And Zatoichi slowly approaches it and stops it. And it cuts to the next scene. Like that was super out of place for the rest of the film because it just seemed very artful in its design. Uh, whereas everything else is pretty effective and um, straightforward. Yeah, it's um, it's not it's not as much of an artistic endeavor as like the last couple movies were. Yeah, like you were saying, like uh, it's just not, you know, it's very cut and I, I guess cut and dry. I mean, like it's just by the book kind of action movie. Um, yeah, yeah, the action is paced out pretty well. Like I know with. Uh, uh, previous ones that we saw sometimes it was held off until the very end but in this one it's like about every 10 or 15 minutes uh, it's paced out to where like is going to slice up some dudes that's just how it is so it, it does keep attention like that again another reason why I think it's a good bet for um, introducing somebody to the Zatuichi films and um I think this is probably the first one that, and I've said this before, but this time I'm right, <laughs> yeah. is this is the first one that breaks away from the original movies. Um, yeah. Because <laughs> The Fugitive, of course, had Otane in it. True. Who, of course, you'd have to see Tale of Zatuichi and Tale of Zatuichi Continues, and then New Tale of Zatuichi was, of course, a direct sequel to Zatuichi, the Tale of Zatuichi Continues, but this time... There's nothing. That's an excellent point. It's all completely point. new. Yeah, that's an excellent point. The, and again, like he's not touching back on any of the key aspects of his life, so we don't have any of that to go on. Um, hell, there's not even like anybody from his past. Like we've encountered his brother, his teacher, his uh, old friends, or something. But this time, it's like, oh, Doyama Gang wants to have me over. Okay, I guess. Looks yeah. like I'm doing this thing. So it's totally. Totally, a casual uh, familiarity is it. That's it. Completely unattached. Bachelor living Zatoichi. Like, he's he's got nothing tying him down. Yeah, everyone in his life is dead. So. <laughs> oh, God. What a depressing life. But he seems joyful about it still. Um, he's got nothing to worry about anymore. <laughs> I guess not. Except, except now he's made more friends. So uh, that's something that he needs to be careful of. Uh, like Omitsu and... And uh, the young guy at uh, Boss, what's his name? Hikoso? Uh, uh, it was young he, Matsu, the guy who was yeah. helping him out. Yeah. Who, who, that's the, can, I guess, like the minor connection she had to that gang was Matsu was in love with her. Well, I think uh, it may have been, um, or do you think that he was falling in love with her when they were in, when she was. <laughs> Sorry, I thought he was in love with a different Mitsu, but you think it's the same one? I think it might be the same one. Okay, but I could be wrong. I mean, it seems like a little bit too much of a of a similarity, but um, yeah, the only person I can think that could possibly show back up in Zatoichi's life is uh, the woman that um, that left him for his brother. 
Oh yeah, whose name I'm forgetting right oh, wait, now. Oh wait, no, uh, we don't know if she's dead or not either. Like I was about oh, yeah. to say, she's dead, but yeah, the last uh, the last sequence with his brother, his brother was saying, um, "Do you believe me or not?" Wasn't that it? Yeah, I believe so. And then he dies. Yeah. Um. So we don't even know if she could show up. She he might be completely serious that he did kill her at some point. Um, so overall, in comparison to, say, I guess our last movie, Zatoichi the Fugitive, what you think this is a significant improvement, an improvement at all, or do you feel kind of disappointed by it? Um, I enjoyed it more. I think it probably didn't improve on its artistic front. I think this was a... Uh, um, a test to see how quickly they could put out like another Zatoichi film. Are you sure next year isn't a test because they got four of those uh, four of those movies coming out in '64? <laughs> I, I, I think this is when they were trying to perfect the formula. <laughs> I think this is like their version of like regular Coke, uh, whereas the previous one, Fugitive, was like new Coke, possibly. That and they were getting rid of somebody else um, with the uh, previous love interest. So it's like this is. This is something completely uh, detached from all ties to the previous series. So let's see if we can start churning these out faster. You know, and I I get it because, like, it's a... I mean, to be fair, like, not the Zatoichi series, but I mean, like, how people complain that, uh, you know, it's like already they're making, like, a fifth Transformers movie or already they're making, like, an eighth Fast and the Furious movie. Yeah. And I I get it because, like... I, at least with the Transformers series, you know, the, it's a creatively bankrupt, like, entity, whereas, like, the Fast and the Furious movies are getting somewhat better as they go on. But, really? uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've enjoyed, like, the last three more than I ever liked any of the older ones. But, anyway, you know, they can, can people now can complain all they want. Nine of these movies came out in under a year. Like, <laughs> or in two years. In two years, nine of these movies came out. Yeah, so that's quite a release schedule. Um, yet still, they it's not like all this stuff is all the same either. Um, some first that I gathered for this movie is I think this is the first time that we see Zatoichi smoking. Um, oh yeah, his pipe, which he uses as a weapon at some point too. Yeah, he he blasts the uh, the embers out of it into a guy's open a uh, tunic garment. That's how he speaking likes, of speaking of what. As- Speaking of that scene, what were they doing to uh, to the to the boss of the travel agency? Boss Tomagoro? Yeah, I couldn't figure it out. I was they trying were putting, to look like, it up. Burning wax on him or something. At first, I thought it was that that uh, vacuum jar craze that seems to be like uh, reemerging today. Like people are doing that thing where they basically suck the air out of a small. Uh, jar the glass jar that they have on your back and it creates a suction on your skin i thought that's what they were doing but i couldn't see that there but it was some sort of like medicinal um massage practice i don't know what it was though, but it involved fire yeah. uh, it, so- it involved fire and him not like taking whatever it was off of him when he put his kimono back on 
Yeah, um, yeah. He just threw it back on. He just carried to the wind. I wonder if it had something to do with, well, shoot, I, I guess we could hypothesize, but um, it was very it was very odd. Like, I couldn't place it. Couldn't quite place it. So that's something different that we saw from this, too. Um, also, the first female antagonist in one of these films, uh, Hira, who is really stunning in this movie. Like, I just thought she was great, this actress, uh, Rieko Fujiwara. Yeah, uh, I, I got actually... Pr- I knew that it's not like Zatoichi would be killing this woman, thankfully, but uh, I was, you know, I was like, oh, cool, we actually have a female villain for once. <laughs> yeah, and her expressions, just like Boss Tomigoro and some of the other actors, are just really captivating, like, really good. There's this great scene, like, after she's uh, she's effectively removed from Tomigoro's um, establishment, where they've kept the girl, and they're like, oh, we'll transport her tomorrow. This is too much of a job for you to handle. Um, so she's uh, she's removed, and Zatoichi immediately finds her, and then like he kind of corners her in this uh, uh, cart holding area. So he's like... Those carts we probably saw later on in the movie. Probably, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I guess to bookend it, yeah, like he's trying to... Um, uh, basically trap her within like this confined space and she just looks terrified like she knows that he's blind and all this and she's looking to get revenge on him by basically transporting this girl instead and and make a fool out of him but um, no she looks totally scared I mean really good actress yeah and that too I, and I think it's it comes with her like i mean working in i guess secret to uh to transport this girl instead but also at the same time maybe just underestimating the legend of zatoichi until he's you know right there in your face and then that's when you start to freak out a little bit (laughs) yeah yeah um also that chase that whole chase sequence went on for quite a while of him just cornering her in that room it did i i gotta say like with uh with the reason that Mitsu had been like on the run because uh, this samurai, this uh, feudal lord, I, it seemed like both that they were saying, but I'm pretty sure it was like a, just a samurai, uh, had sexually assaulted her or was attempting to, and she stabbed him in the face with a hairpin and left. Yep, and I was, those hairpins are big. Yeah, and I was just like, I was terrified at where this movie was headed when uh, she was left in the stead of that uh, of Boss Tamagoro's gang. It wasn't until later when he's like, okay, we got the girl. What, is she crying? Okay, great. Hey, what about that woman, though, that we kicked out? We should have had her around. Like, it was sleazy, but I was like, okay, at least they're not doing any gross stuff with Mitsu's character. Uh, yeah, I, um, before, funny enough, before I, uh, I when I started, I, I watched this movie in two parts. I watched part of it on the Blu-rays and part of it uh, at work on my laptop. Yeah. Um, and I believe when I was about to watch the second part, I was trying to figure out where I left off on Hulu, and I just hit a random spot close to where I thought I had left off, and it just showed the part where they're dragging Hisa out of the room. Yeah. And I was like, oh, no, don't go, don't do this, Satoichi. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, that's why that chase scene out there, um, 
Whereas Zatoichi's like basically cornering Hisa. Uh, it's like, what are you all doing? That girl's still stuck in with her. Those creeps. <laughs> like we have to get that girl out of there. Like I was yeah, really on edge. Both- and I know that Hisa ends up um, aiding Mitsu at the end, but like, still, like, she should have. It's like you said, they should have just teamed up and tried to get her out of there because uh, that, you know, in realistically speaking, that is not a great situation for a young lady to be in. You know? Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I mean, I was relieved that the film was not taking uh, the characters to these like super dark places. But, um, yeah, it, it was just a, a weird, unfortunate point of tension for this movie. It was just kind of awkward. Yeah. <laughs> otherwise, though, otherwise, like, in the grand scheme of the film, it's, you know, people are put in dangerous situations. I definitely felt for them. I would, I ended up watching this twice, actually, because I just dug it that much. Um, but it was, uh, it was a good film. I enjoyed yeah. it. Yeah. I agree. I actually, I think I like it about a bit more than uh, the fugitive four. Yeah, four, uh, three and four. I, I believe so. I so I, probably it was a solid movie. I think three is still up there. I forget what I said last time that my favorite would be, but uh, he's either two or three. I think it was three. I still think three is my favorite, uh, but this one was like, yeah, this is one I'm. I'll have on hand if I ever want to introduce somebody to Zatoichi. Yeah, I'm. I'm glad we're getting into. Uh, I'm glad we're getting into like new eyes territory where like it's you know it's say it's getting safe to show somebody new like the this film series because with the rest of them you know if you have to sit down and explain what's going on, you no matter how minor the detail you're gonna you know you're gonna definitely lessen your enjoyment of the movie as well as the person that you're watching it with. Yeah. Oh, um, one other thing, and, and just thinking about like introducing this film to other people, there is one odd audio aspect of this film. Like the score is great. It's still uh, it's still the same person, um, Akira Ifukube, who's doing the music, and it's it's still interesting. Like it goes into different places uh, with the the music and the score for the background. However, there's two instances of these eating scenes, which we don't really see that often in these films, like Zatoichi with a mouthful of food. Um, But there's two scenes with dialogue in it that you can tell that they dubbed over. In one case, the first case, it's just Zatoichi. So it's just uh, uh, Kentaro doing Ichi's voice. Excuse me, Shintaro Katsu doing Ichi's voice as he's like, has a mouthful of food. And at first I just thought like, oh, okay, maybe poor dub. But even when you read the subtitles and you go back to watching the actor's face, you'll hear sounds like clearly defined consonants and vowel sounds coming out of uh, Ichi's mouth, even when his mouth is closed. Later, like that riverbank eating scene, both actors are redoing their voices for that. And it's, it's kind of awkward. Like that was unusual and may have been like poor production. They probably just couldn't capture the dialogue the first go round, especially the second time, because Zatoichi's really going at it with that rice ball. I imagine wind probably is what, uh, probably wind or something is what did it if they were like outside. But then again, who knows? You only see like a little bit of that river. For all we know, it could have been another soundstage. But, but <laughs> yeah. you know. 
Um, yeah, so I guess that really does it for uh, Zatoichi on the road, or as I like to call it, Zatoichi's fighting journey. <laughs> yeah, I enjoy that title a bit more, too. Um, so why don't I talk about, uh, just for a second, uh, about the the next movie, which also has actually a pretty cool title. It's called Zatoichi and the Chest of Gold. Well, that's rad. That's like a Raiders of the Lost Ark sort of thing. It's an Indiana <laughs> Jones film. Um, which uh, is our first 1964 Zatoichi movie and has a very short synopsis. Uh, Zatoichi is mistaken for a thief. Claire's name he must find and defeat the real villain. So it's different. <laughs> it's different than, you know, Zatuichi finds himself between two gangs. Sure. Yeah. It's a plus. Um, and uh, this film also marks the return of uh, Shintaro Katsu's real life brother, Tomi Saboro Wakayama. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. From don't, yeah, the second one. I don't know in what context, like what his, if it's the same character or what the, uh, what the context of the actor being there is, but um, I guess we'll find out next uh, in two weeks. <laughs> Maybe a flashback or something. Maybe yeah, we'll this might out. be a sequel. Cool. Um, so yeah, uh, I guess that wraps up tonight's episode of the Blind Podsman. Uh, you can catch us at Facebook.com/blind. Podsman or just search Blind Podsman on Facebook. I'm not totally sure what the URL is. Um, you can check us out at blindpodsman.blogger.com. Um, subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher. We are pretty much anywhere where you listen to podcasts. Please rate and review us. Um, we could use some reviews. We have two currently, and both of which are our friends in real life. So, <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so that would help. Uh, tremendously if you want to talk to us I have figured out how Facebook messaging works on the page so I can talk to you um, I want to give a shout out um, to Criterion Close Up because they gave us a shout out this week as well since they were talking about Zatuichi on their new episode oh, great. Uh, so uh, Aaron thank you again thanks um, guys and uh, yeah I guess that does it Jason you have anything you want to throw out before we uh before we log off? No, that's not set to me. Looking forward to Zatoichi in the Chest of Gold. Alright, uh, Zatoichi in the Chest of Gold, directed by George Lucas. Um, <laughs> we'll be back in two weeks. So, for the Blind Podsman, I'm Patrick, and also for Jason, good night. セミがセミがなく起きちゃならねえ人来た時には目先が真っ暗になっちまう ハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハ
ستاره هیتاری تا Bakana yaturani tamuke te yaroka oreno nasake no komori komori u.